0: I'm Wilson Lai. I'm Benjamin Yap. Ye- I'm Eli Sance. You're listening to Deep Cut. Tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow creeps in this petty pace from day to day until the last syllable of recorded time. And all our yesterdays have lighted oh. fools the way to dusty death. Out, out, brave candle. Life's but a walking shadow. A poor player who struts and his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more. It is a tale told by an idiot, full of sound (laughs) and fury signifying nothing.
1: Yeah, that was better than Denzel.
2: (laughs) Whoa, whoa, whoa,
0: whoa, <laughs> oh. whoa, 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 no, 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 <laughs> no, 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 no. At
1: Eli's closer
0: accent-wise. That's just me doing my, uh, Patrick Stewart. I don't know if I know what accent it's
2: supposed to be. I don't even know.
1: He's the king of Scotland. It's a Scottish accent. Oh,
2: yeah. I don't know what a Scottish accent sounds like. <laughs> tomorrow
1: in tomorrow in tomorrow. In tomorrow. <laughs>
2: In, in the deeps water. in pace. Yeah! Deep deep in to this
1: this sorry, that sounded in is Indian. Is Irish or Scottish?
2: <laughs> Scottish. I can't tell. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry, too. <laughs> On Deep
0: Cut, we compare a director's most popular film with a personal favorite chosen by one of us.
1: <laughs> we also discuss that director's life and career to bring in context so that helps us view their movies as they may want us to.
2: This week, we're doing a deep cut upkeep episode where we're going to follow one of the Cohen brothers into the depths of Macbeth. Yeah. Yeah. Joel Cohen's yeah. 2021 film, The Tragedy of Macbeth, where Ethan Cohen is nowhere to be found and he <laughs> is doing one of many Shakespearean adaptations of Macbeth. One of my favorite plays. I haven't read it. I don't know anything. (laughs) (laughs) Oh. (laughs) I have read it, and it is a play. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, in school, I had to read Richard III and Romeo and Juliet. That's what I did.
1: Oh, Macbeth was the one that I had to read. But, like, surprisingly, this was the very first adaptation, stage or screen, that I've seen of the play.
0: Oh, Wilson, you got to watch Throne of Blood. It's so I know, good.
1: Oh, I know. I know. I know. I know. And I also heard that Orson Welles did a really good Macbeth adaptation somewhere, mm. sometime. I think he did an Othello adaptation, which, uh, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I
2: have no idea. Was it Hamlet? <laughs> <laughs> they all bleed together. To yeah, me. he does a <laughs>
1: Macbeth. He did a Macbeth.
2: Orson Welles' Hamlet
0: is kind of amusing. Uh, (laughs) I should have been a pair of claws creeping across the
1: ocean floor. And Orson Welles played Macbeth. He played Macbeth? He directed and played Macbeth. Wow, good for him. (laughs) But that's not the Macbeth that we're talking about today. We (laughs) are talking about Joel Cohen's 2021 Denzel Washington and Francis McDormand starring Macbeth. The tragedy of Macbeth is not just Macbeth. Not to be confused with the comedy of Macbeth. <laughs> yeah, there's no comedy at all in
2: this, which
1: is fine. There's a little but... bit.
2: There's one dick joke. There's some comedy. There's a single dick joke. <laughs> there is?
1: Yes! I think the dick joke went over me.
2: <laughs> Wait, Ben, are you just reading into this from
1: No, there's, a,
2: there's that joke where he talks about getting drunk, and then he... Uh, what's the name of that character?
0: Oh, the Steven Root character? The... Yes, yeah,
2: Steven Root. And then he has oh. this drunken monologue where he like uses his hands to like do like a whole sequence where he talks about getting drunk and about dicks getting hard. <laughs>
1: Tell me oh. I'm
2: wrong, because he does this whole thing. <laughs> Wilson, just pretend it's not in the movie.
1: Is that in the Shakespearean text? I don't know okay. whether it's in the text,
2: <laughs> but it's definitely in the performance, <laughs> the way that he performs it.
0: It is in the text. It is cut from most adaptations, but that scene is in the
2: text. There's usually...
1: Steven Root was in this movie? Yes.
2: (laughs) That's the drunken guy who makes the dick joke.
1: (laughs) Who is this drunken guy? Did we watch the same movie? I hope so. (laughs) (laughs) No,
2: this is essentially at the moment when he finds the body of the king that they murder. Yes, if I'm not wrong, and is that the is that... morning after Macbeth has murdered
0: Duncan? Macduff arrives, and Macduff is the one who finds the murdered king. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. the porter is this character's name in the play. He is the one who lets Macduff into the castle, right? And he has this whole comical monologue, and Macduff is like, "Yeah, yeah, okay." Uh...
1: And it's there just
0: because in most tragedies there is a character who is comic Brings relief. some levity. The porter is cut from most adaptations oh. because to modern sensibilities, it's a little inconsistent. But I think it's interesting yeah. that it's kept in here.
1: I'm very glad that we have a Shakespearean expert here with us Oh my today. God,
2: not at all. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> okay, I found a line. I found a line. It's about, it's about wine. <laughs> go on. Okay, s- say the line. And go off. So Macduff asks, what three things does drink especially provoke? Mary, sir, knows painting, sleep, and urine. Lechery, sir, it provokes and unprovokes. It provokes the desire, but it takes away the performance. Therefore, much drink may be said to be an equivocator with lechery. It makes him and it mars him. It sets him on and it takes him off. It persuades him and disheartens him. Makes him stand to and not stand to. In conclusion, equivocates him in a sleep and giving him the lie leaves him. It's a dick joke. I don't know, Ben. I think you're reading into it too far. <laughs> the way that he reads... The way he performs it... He's talking about how drink, Kim. I'm kidding. It's definitely true. No, you're right. You're right. Anyway, we just spent way too long on this. <laughs> okay,
1: this brings up my problem with this movie. <laughs> I had no clue what was going on for a good... Well, no, okay. I understand the story of Macbeth. I have, like, studied Macbeth. I understand character intentions and, like, the whole big gist of it. But when it gets down to, like, conversation scenes, which is the whole movie, (laughs) a lot went over my head, including that dick joke. Mm. And even when you read it just now, that still went over my head. And I think... (laughs) (laughs) because <laughs> are not <all> Steven Root. <laughs> like, first of all, yes, the text is hard to access as someone living in the 21st century. I think we can all agree on that, right? Hopefully. But I think that Joel Cohen does the text no favors in order to make this or help translate this that much to... I don't know, regular audiences of 2021. And I think it is a bold choice to have, like, all of this take place on, like, a soundstage and be shot in black and white and be very abstract in a sense that you don't really have a concrete context to place this story inside. But for me, that just made me feel so distanced from the entire thing... Mm -hmm. Especially emotionally, I think the only performance that really like struck me emotionally was Francis McDormand's. But I think also Mm -hmm. Lady Macbeth is one of the most compelling characters that Shakespeare has ever written. Mm -hmm. But I think in its totality, it just didn't make as big of a mark as it could have. I think there was a different way to do this, or even like the Romeo and Juliet. That Baz Luhrmann did, like even while following the original text, did it in a way that made it exciting and accessible to a lot of other people. But this, I was just really grasping at a lot of things. I guess that's not totally his fault. I think it was also my approach to this play and seeing it for the first time, and maybe this not being the best first way to experience Macbeth.
0: No, I think that you're on point, Wilson, with sort of the approach that Joel Cohen is taking into this movie. My take on it is that this is a fascinating experiment. It is doing really interesting things with artifice and recreating a feel of stagecraft on screen. It is tying itself to silent film, particularly I'm thinking of Joan of Arc by Carl Theodore Dreyer in 1928 mm-hmm. in interesting ways. And a lot of German expressionism as well with the lighting. The yeah. Very true. I find myself struggling to tie those formal choices to the text and the content of the story. And that's why this doesn't rise above anything more than an interesting experiment to me, mm-hmm. because it's not really telling its story, it's telling its form and craft.
2: I don't feel like it needed to so-called modernize its sensibilities to kind of cater to a modern audience i think it's okay that it kind of goes for a sort of purist approach to the text mm-hmm. i think the issue with it is that when you look at it and you ask the question what's the point of this it does not yes that's not really a good answer to like what's the point of this and harshly now that i'm thinking back on this i saw this two months ago i feel like its experiment maybe doesn't go far enough. Mm, say more. There's like some nice artifice to it. And you're like, I see the German expressionism. I see the kind of stark Spartan daginess of it put onto mm-hmm. film. I see right. the kind of gritty realism, but there isn't really a point to it aside from signifiers of influence rather than using those things to a very strong effect. Agreed. Like, German Expressionism can go very, very far. And I think this really skims the surface of like what it can really okay. do. It still kind of is too realistic, even with its kind of Spartan sets. And I think the performances are too grounded. Mm-hmm. Except for maybe The Witches. Yeah. Which are really cool. and Highlight. What's her name? Catherine um, Hunter. Catherine Hunter. Catherine Hunter. She's doing something <laughs> that she's done on stage before. And she's doing it in a really interesting way, but then it kind of is out of step with the rest of the thing, right? And that's why it really stands out. Yeah. And Denzel's doing a very Denzel performance, which is extremely grounded, very rooted, but then that kind of feels too de-dramatized for me. Mm -hmm. The way that he delivers the text kind of just fades into everything, and then I'm not catching what's going on. I've seen criticisms of McDormand's performance, and I kind of feel aligned with those because she feels too much like, Francis McDormand and too realistic mm. as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I just wish yeah. everyone was kind of pushing it more.
1: Yeah. And I think, isn't that the reason that
2: you, you
1: sort of strip all like the mise en scène and have everything in black and white is to just make a way for the performers to really mm. do what they do best because mm. Shakespeare is like sort of a performer's medium more than anything else. Mm -mm. or even anything Mm -mm. else that the Coen brothers have done that I've seen, this is really important for the performers to really push themselves. And I don't know, I think maybe because Joel and Ethan's previous work, at least with performances, have been all about subtlety, but when it is translated to a text that you have to like retranslate in your head, and then there's another layer of subtlety there... It feels harder to grasp. Well, the other
0: responsibility of an actor in Shakespeare is to modernize the text with their performance, by which I mean to communicate the emotion behind the lines. So an example is Stephen Root, who makes what ultimately amounts to a sex joke (laughs) (laughs) understandable and comical in that moment. And I do think he succeeds in that. I think even though you can say that the performances don't all necessarily mesh. I do think that Denzel Washington does do a good job of communicating the intent behind lines. Mm -hmm. I have a lot of questions about the casting of Americans in this and what space they occupy because it's a little random which characters are American and which are British and which are Scottish. It's choices like that that should be, as you're saying, Wilson, clearing the way for actors to do the thing with Shakespeare text and create and conduct the electricity in that text through to the audience. But somehow it's just not connecting. Maybe it's because there's so much attention being drawn to the creation of the artifice that ostensibly should be able to clear the way for performances. Right. But that being said, the craft is really incredible.
1: hmm. Yeah. It, it does stands really out good. so much. And Bruno Delbonel, who we all have gushed about in our Inside Lewin Davis episode, has come back and reunited with Joel on this film. And I think he was the perfect choice for this film because of, I guess, adding a a sense of space to these sets is quite hard. And I think the way mm. that Delbonel uses fog and different ways to to cover up the frame and to 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 mess it up in a very in a very subtle way i think double really shines in that and it, especially in his light and his shadow play it really 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 sings in this i think just the collaboration between set design and the gne team in achieving how Like basically, lighting in every shot of this movie is gorgeous. And yeah, I think the visual tone and feel of it is very, very on point. I do question some of the ways that coverage is done in certain scenes. I know that Joel and Ethan really love to prioritize close ups, but. I have, I had a feeling in some scenes that they were prioritizing it a bit too much. And when coupled with performances that don't really, like, give you that much... It feels like it's heightening the fact that they're just performing
0: rather than, I don't know, embodying or living in a more cogent way.
1: Yeah, I don't want to really shit on this movie too much because I I feel like a lot of people really like it. And I think it's, like, a decent movie. There's nothing, like wrong with it and you can't really like critique Shakespeare because <laughs> it's fucking Shakespeare
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: he's, he's
2: dead he's not gonna come get you <laughs> there's one thing
0: that is unequivocally bad in my mind which is the CGI and VFX in a movie that's trying to play up it's artifice and in an organic way like it's set design it's mm-hmm. sound is very contained bookmark that
1: skip skip
0: skip skip that CGI just sticks out like a sore thumb. It doesn't feel physical and in the world at all. It's Denzel Washington ducking to avoid these computerized crows, and it really,
2: really sticks out very badly. Yeah, I feel like, as you said, Wilson, there's nothing wrong with it, but there's nothing exciting about this. Mm. And that's kind of the issue. Like, Like, Shakespeare is Shakespeare. And then what excites you to watch the tragedy of Macbeth? Any choice that is exciting
0: formally is muffled a little bit by this question of, well, why that choice for this text? I don't know. Mm
1: -hmm. It is very interesting because the two siblings, the two pairs of siblings that we've covered on the podcast last season, both of the pairs, one of the siblings went off and made their own movie this last year and say what you will about Matrix Resurrections, you can check out her episode but i do think that there was like a very strong reason for lana deciding to make this and also making it on her own and even however you take the movie it still feels like there's a really strong directorial voice behind it whereas joel stepping away from ethan and like doing the shakespeare adaptation i guess could mean something because he really is really fond of shakespeare and This play and it is very important to him, but I really did feel a a strong lack of directorial voice in this one, especially considering Mm. Joel and Ethan's movies together have always felt in some way like Coen brothers movies, even as wild as their plots are from each other. They really feel like there's like a certain tone and there's a sort of comedic way that they approach telling their stories and. I don't know, maybe there was a reason that Ethan didn't want to do this with Joel, or I I have no idea what (laughs) happened behind the scenes. Speculation. (laughs) But this feels, I don't know, this feels out of brand a little bit.
2: I disagree that there's a lack of directorial voice. I think it's there. We've already talked about those things, which is like the look of it and the kind of specific tone that he's going for. It's just that it's not the Coen brothers thing. So it feels a bit odd, and the directorial choice isn't really an interesting choice. It is a choice, oh,
1: okay. <laughs> it's just <Yeah>. not
2: interesting. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, it's there, I see it, I see the choice and the direction, but yeah. it's just not exciting. <laughs> yeah, Which is just kind of hard to really say anything else aside from that, for me
1: anyway. Yeah, Is Joel the boring brother? <laughs> <laughs>
2: Which is surprising because he has the crazier hair.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, maybe it's not
0: so much directorial voice as I sense more, like, department head voice. Like, we've already talked about Del Bonal on the cinematography front, Stéphane Deschamps, production design, of course, and Jason T. Clark's art direction. And... <laughs> Yeah, (laughs) our man. We have to talk about the sound.
1: Yeah. Skip Levsey corner. I didn't know when we were gonna come back to Skip Levsey's corner, but here we are.
2: You can't run from Skip. Can't escape. (laughs) He's a titan of the industry. (laughs) Yeah. And our close personal friend.
1: (laughs) We love you, Skip Levsey.
0: (laughs) The amazing thing about the sound in the tragedy of Macbeth is that, as Wilson said, the whole thing was shot on sound stages. It would have been possible to give voices more reverb or room tone to make them sound like they are physical spaces, either outdoors or in a real castle or in Scotland, what have you. But in the same way that the visuals are playing up the artifice and evoking a sense of staginess, the sound also is not providing outdoors room tone for scenes that are outdoors. It's not giving the giant reverberous sound of a majestic hall like often Shakespeare adaptations have. It is making choices both on set with Peter F. Curlin's production mixing and in post with Skip Levsey's mixing and editing that are giving the sounds a very contained, personal Close feel. The whole movie starts with Catherine Hunter whispering the witch's opening lines. And then when the first visuals come up after that opening intertitle that just says when, the sound is like stage lights turning on. It's this big Mm, as the screen goes white. So this all feels very purposeful and it's a really interesting choice and it's well done. Again, unfortunately, I don't know why that is the choice for Macbeth.
2: Since both of you know Macbeth better, like what do you think would serve the story? Because I, I don't know anything about Macbeth, honestly. I'm just really curious, like what. Why
1: you go? I don't go. Do I want to go. What from Macbeth?
2: <laughs> what does Macbeth need? And like, what does it serve by? I honestly don't know. Educate me. <laughs> Macbeth is asking a bunch of different
0: questions about fate versus choice. So is Macbeth overthrowing the king and pursuing power? just because he received a prophecy that he would do so? Is he doing it Mm -hmm. out of his own motivation, regardless of that prophecy? Is he doing it because he was motivated to by his wife? On the Lady Macbeth side, it's about her femininity versus masculinity and what drives her decision-making. It's about guilt and how it eats at people and undermines their confidence, as it does for Macbeth and Lady Macbeth. With all these questions they tend to circle around the pathology of ambition. Mm. And Mm -hmm. I don't think it's impossible to do a story that emphasizes artifice there, but it's not only distracting, as Wilson said, for engaging with the actual emotions of what's happening, it is distracting from those main themes and the kind of psychological questions that the text asks. I find yeah. it really hard to connect there both intellectually and emotionally a lot of the time during this movie because of that distancing.
1: It is really, really hard. And I think there is a lot to say about, I guess, how these characters transform through the course of this play because they really change into different people. Like this prophecy and this ambition to succeed and to rule sort of overcomes Macbeth, right? And you, there is... This shift that happens throughout the course of this movie. And it's so hard to feel. It's so hard to get that. Yeah. And I don't want to rag on Denzel, but let's just say that Denzel has given in so many incredible performances, even of like other stage plays. Like I am thinking about Fences, which he is incredible in. Yeah. I like really, really, really think that he really gives a career high in that movie. Mm-hmm. But this, um, I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) Maybe we can chalk it up to some directing, or I don't know. But it, it feels like there was supposed to be a roadmap, or maybe there is a roadmap for how Joel Cohen wanted to approach this movie. But the fact that is that the roadmap did not translate. Whatever, like, specific way he was trying to attack these themes felt like it wasn't coming across. and. Eli, you were saying earlier about these intertitles. I have no clue why these intertitles are there. They appear multiple times in this movie, and they're just one word, and then they just go on.
2: (laughs) I forgot all about that. (laughs) And they're not
0: particularly important words either. There was a tomorrow near the end. Like if there had been one that just said the, it wouldn't have been out of place.
2: Yeah. What do they say when you put them together? What do they say? Is it a secret message? Oh, could be.
0: (laughs) Is it a secret? No. There is a certain joy in hearing Denzel Washington say some of these incredible lines and putting his spin on it. Like, it's always a delight Mm -hmm. to see an actor do their take on Shakespeare, but this doesn't always feel like his take because of all the distractions that are around him in this movie. I don't think he's served well by all this artifice because he's such an engaging and engrossing actor that you really want to be able to connect mm-hmm. with him and dial in. Joel Cohen is putting too much yeah. in the way of that. One thing that's coming to mind, though, is that it's a delight to hear Denzel Washington say the line wayface towards the end of the play when he's insulting this kid who's like trying to give him updates about the battle. He calls him wayface, <laughs> yeah. which essentially means... You look like oatmeal, which is just one of the great insults ever written. Way face. That's great. I don't think he nails the tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow monologue as much as I hate to say. He's
1: walking while he says it. It's very distracting.
0: But again, that's probably a choice that comes from Joel Cohen telling him to walk. I want him to just be able to embed himself in those lines and live them. But Cohen is putting too much in the way.
1: This also really sucks because this is the Coen Brothers' first movie with a black lead.
0: Yeah. Mm. (laughs) And
1: I think there's a big statement being made casting Denzel as as Macbeth. But how it relates to his A, his nationality, and B, his race still is not... Well, it doesn't have to be explained. I'm not asking for it to be explained, but... But it's
0: something that is put on the table through this casting choice that then Cohen seems a little bit afraid of really engaging with Mm -hmm. or using it to shape the story somehow. It's like it's there, but it's not being acknowledged by any other performers. Like
1: I can't think of a good way of doing it either. I don't know. Yeah, but maybe that's why the stripping away of the artifice helps because it's just like anybody could embody these people. But I don't know. I mean it's very typical in plays to just cast whoever cast anybody, right? Yeah. Right,
2: because like on the stage the audience can be far enough that the kind of surface level differences don't maybe matter as much on the stage. Yeah. But I can see the argument for like wanting to embed those differences into the way that you interpret the text. I mean it's definitely this whole casting is 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 star casting. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but like you have Denzel. You have a Cohen brother. Think of the possibilities. I really do hope that this is not the last time that we see Denzel in a Cohen brother's movie. I really hope that I don't know like imagine him in a burn after reading. Mm. Or as a chigur Like think of those kind of characters That would be yeah. juicy That's juicy That would be so juicy No one's
0: really writing for Denzel Washington right now And it's a little sad because He still has so much
1: Left to give I don't know Yeah Denzel People are afraid they don't know what to do <laughs> It's Denzel <laughs> well, I hope that he gets cast in more things And I hope he works with Joel and Ethan again On the subject
0: of Cohen being a little afraid to engage with race, the choice to also cast Macduff as a black character and have them Mm -hmm. fight each other in the end. But then to subsequently remove lines that Macduff has at the end of the play, Alex Hassell, who plays Ross, which is this strangely constructed character, In this adaptation, where his allegiances are very unclear, he delivers lines at the end of the play that Macduff is supposed to have. So it's taking Uh performance away from Corey Hawkins, who plays Macduff, who is supposed to, in the book, present the head of Macbeth, which he has taken in battle. It just feels like an icky choice. And I also don't know what it's trying to do other than shy away from this casting choice that Cohen has made. Mm. It feels
2: squeamish. I was reading about the Ross stuff, correct me if I'm wrong, there's a whole Wikipedia article about the Ross character, and how there's a a seemingly throwaway line about a third person, Mm -hmm. I think one of the murderers or something, and apparently there's a lot of speculation about who the third man is. And essentially with this adaptation, Joe Cohen is going with the idea that this man is this character, Ross. I see. That is not in the text. So he is kind of doing the fanfiction of Macbeth to kind of develop this theory of the third man being a significant character rather than just being a random person. I see. Which is why it kind of loops back to Ross because he's exploring this sort of theory. Well, everyone
0: knows that the third man is really Orson Welles.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: And Ross and Rachel were on a break. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, the whole idea of like, exploring this whole theory also feels a little bit middle school to me. It's like he's picking and choosing what
0: to do, which any director of Shakespeare is entitled to do. But it's laying a bunch of things on the table and then not following through or making choices in a bit of a scattershot mm-hmm. way.
1: Maybe all Joel Cohen wanted to do was make Macbeth with Denzel. <laughs> and then... Me, it's, it's a good enough sales pitch. Had bitch. to figure it out the rest of the way. Yeah, exactly. If I was A24, if I was Apple, yeah. Sold, of course.
0: In all, it's interesting. At best, it has fascinating choices and interesting moments. I read one thing about how Joel Cohen felt that no one had really done the idea of Dunsinane Forest coming to the castle in an interesting way yet. So he had this moment when Macbeth opens Mm. the windows and all the leaves blow in. Yes. I think that's great. I think it kind of sums up the limitations of this adaptation because it's more about an image or a concept than it is about forefronting what really could have been an excellent showcase of these performances.
2: It's like he's more interested in the the dressing of Macbeth, the story, rather than the core of what Macbeth is trying to be, the thematic concerns of Macbeth. Exactly. Mm -hmm. He's more interested in what have we not done with Macbeth? And then I think maybe loses sight of the big picture. Yes.
1: Yeah. A little too much faith in the text, maybe. Simultaneously too much faith in the text and not looking closely at it enough. Because last year was the first year that I really got into the Coen brothers, I would really like to see a new Coen Brothers movie soon, so let's just hope that that happens. Bring back Ethan. (laughs) Bring back (laughs) Ethan. Do we know why they they split for this? Does anyone know? Ethan might be writing a book. Yeah, he's
2: just doing other things. I don't think it was like a a big deal. I think he was just doing other stuff and Joel's like, yeah, I want to still make movies.
1: It's not like they're not going to work together in the future, right? Yeah.
2: I don't think yeah. they're done working together.
1: Because they, w- they just did Ballad of Buster Scruggs a few years ago, right? Yeah. Okay, not going to be long. A movie I could not finish. <laughs> also not great, <laughs> but... Rough. Okay. Let's hope for a good Coen's Brothers movie soon. <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> okay. Lead on, McDuff. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of Deep Cut. Please rate and review because that helps us keep making the show. Be sure to subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts so you know when our next episode drops. Keep up with Deep Cut on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Letterboxd at Deep Cut Pod, And join us to talk about movies on our Discord server, to which you'll find a link in the description. Thank you to Justine Yam for our beautiful artwork. I'm Wilson. I'm Ben. I'm Eli. Take care and we're looking forward to talking about more movies with you next time. Out, out, damned pod.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It was I. Oh, fuck. No, never mind. (laughs) Bye.